welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're continuing our series on the seven churches of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John records a vision given by the Holy Spirit, which contains specific messages for churches located in modern-day Turkey. The encouragements and the warnings that God issues to these churches still apply to us today. So far, we've seen the reminder to hold on to our relationship with God as our first love. And we've been encouraged to persevere through our hardships because God has given us the gifts we need to succeed. Today, Pastor Nicole is going to look at two more of these letters and we'll see the dire warnings not to get consumed with our past or to allow our faith to be superficial and weak. So let's continue our series today. Here's Pastor Nicole. You know, we learn a lot in church about God. We learn a lot about the Bible says. I heard this story. Uh, I'm going to try to make Quint laugh when I tell the story so you guys can wish me luck on that. But during a Sunday school lesson, um, a little boy was learning about how God created human beings. And the child became especially focused when the teacher explained how Eve was created from Adam's ribs. Remember, uh, God had took a, a rib out of Adam to create woman. And later in the week, the boy's mother saw him lying down on the floor. And so she asked him, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, mom, I have a pain in my side. It really, really hurts. I have a pain in my side. And so the concerned mother uh, reached down and leaned down to check on him. And the little boy said, I think I'm getting a wife. I think I'm getting a wife. They thought it was funny. In Revelation uh, chapters one through three, the Lord uh, dictates letters to seven churches and the apostle John writes them down. And John was the writer of the Gospel of John. He was the closest disciple to Jesus. And all of these churches were found in Asia Minor, uh, which is modern day Turkey. I have a little map here for you so you can kind of get a glimpse of it. The names of these churches were Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And the directives in these letters were not just for the congregations back then, but they are for us today. In Revelation 1, every church was represented by a lampstand. That's why we have these lampstands here on the um, platform this morning, because Jesus is, this is the image that Jesus is making sure the light of each church stays strong and bright. And not just each church, but also our own personal lives, that we are to be the light that burns brightly into spiritual darkness. And Jesus helps us change so we can bear the greatest and the best light on the lampstand. So we've looked at the first three letters so far. Today, we're going to cover two more. Next week, we're going to finish the series by learning from the final two. All right. So I asked Pastor Quint if he would read this letter to the church of Thyatira as if it were written to us today. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her, of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the children's will know that. Then all the churches will know that I am He who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. 
Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who did not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will, that one will rule with them will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. Thank you. So Thyatira uh, was headquarters to many service providers for the region. Um, For example, there were potters and tanners and weavers and robe makers and people who made dye that would uh, dye clothing and material. In fact, it was the center of the industry for creating dye. And in Acts 16, there's a woman named Lydia who sold purple cloth in the city of Philippi. If you remember her, she was Paul's first convert in Europe. She was from Thyatira. Okay, so she was from uh, this particular city. This is not a made-up city. These aren't made-up letters. They're actual letters. And Thyatira was the smallest and most unimportant city of the seven. In fact, it was the most insignificant church, least heard of in all seven. But you know what I love about this letter is that Jesus has the most to say to this church. Jesus has the most to say to this church. Thyatira was the smallest. And I think this communicates something really critical to us, that if you're here today and you feel insignificant or small, or you feel unimportant, or you feel overlooked, you can boldly come to Jesus because Jesus has a lot to say to you. Jesus does not rate us in order of importance. Jesus does not decide, oh, that's the pastor, or that person leads a Bible study, or that person's been loving me for a long time, I'm going to speak to them. Jesus says, look, I want to be close to you, and you don't have to prove your value to me. Each one of you, Jesus has a lot to say to you. So he opens the letter by reminding them that his eyes are like a flame of fire. I just saw this picture I thought was an interesting picture, that Jesus sees it all. Like he sees everything. He sees you and he sees me and he sees our thoughts and he sees our feelings and he sees us when we're all alone and he sees us when we're in a crowd of people and he sees all the things that we think are unseen, the things that we think nobody knows about. Jesus knows all of those things. And Jesus says, look, I see all the things and you're doing some good. Uh, He lists in in this letter, I see the deeds that you're doing and the love and the faith I see the service, I see the perseverance. And I love verse 19, it ends and Jesus says something really significant. He says, you are now doing more than you did at first. You're now doing more than you did at first. Just say the word more this morning. This tells us that the people were growing in faith. They were not just resting in something God did for them in the past. They were hungry for the things God wanted for them in the present and in the future. I love Philippians 3.13. It talks about this too when it says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So here's the thing. We can look at the past. We, we can learn from the past. In fact, that's wisdom. We need to remember the past, but we cannot live in the past. 
We can look at the past, we can learn from the past, but we cannot live in the past. As victorious, as victorious believers in Jesus, we have to give our past to Jesus. We have to leave our defeats in the past. That's what the scripture says, forgetting what is behind. Because God can heal our injuries and our wounds. We can move forward from failures and sin. And now the enemy, remember, he is the accuser. So he's the one that is always going to try to remind you of your past. Yeah, yeah, you tried that before. You, you've tried this before. You've tried changing your life before. But it's going to be no different this time. Or you've always been angry. That's never going to change. Or you've always been hurting. Or that person always is going to make you feel that way. That's what the enemy says. He will always look to bring up our past mistakes. But we need to forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. Now, this idea in Revelation and in Philippians is also important when it comes to our victories. So, so not only do we forget about our past and our burdens and the things that, that are going to keep us from running our race for God, we also have to remember this in light of victory. So follow me here. We can't live on yesterday's victory. We can't live on yesterday's success. We have to look ahead. Our church can't live on what was good in the past. Doesn't mean it wasn't good. Doesn't mean it's not worth remembering. Doesn't mean it's not worth looking at. But we cannot live on what was good in the past. You know, God gave Israel daily manna. That our father prayer we pray. What does it say? Give us today our what? Our daily bread. We can't live off of yesterday's blessing or yesterday's strength. We have to live one day at a time and focus on what God is doing right now. So what is God doing right now in your life? How are you pulling closer to God right now? Because if you had a great relationship with God, but that was before. I used to worship all the time. I used to feel this way. Uh, I used to have these experiences. My small group was really great when I used to have it. God is saying, that is all great. You can look at the past. You can learn from the past. But you cannot live in yesterday's strength. You can't live on yesterday's miracles. You can't live on yesterday's faithfulness of God because he's showing up right now. He's here right now. He says, all those things I did before, I can do that again. And I can meet you in the right now moment. And Jesus says to this church, he applauds them. He said, you're living in the right now. And that's how we must live too. Miracles are happening right now. God is still working right now. And we need to live in that right now moment. I want to share with you, I want you to watch this young man's video, a testimony of a young man from our church who needed a miracle in these last uh, nine or 12 months, and the Lord showed up for him. And I want you to see the miracle of the right now. My name is Cordy Walker. I've attended Erie first for about a year now. This is my story on why I believe in miracles. It all started in 2014 when I received a kidney from a man who has since become my best friend, leaving my body much more prone to disease in the future. This past December, despite being fully vaccinated, I was tested positive 
for COVID-19. I was admitted to the hospital where it was discovered that I also had COVID pneumonia. I could barely breathe or walk, and my temperature was running high. Everything that happened in the next few weeks still blurred to me. Five days after admission, I was told that I had to be put on ventilator. The ICU doctor told my dad that he wasn't sure I would make it. My one lung eventually collapsed. I was put on chest tubes and breathing tubes. It was then during that time that prayer began pouring in. I had prayer warriors across the country, even across continents. I was fighting for my life. After about two weeks on the ventilator, I finally woke up. Through everything, through all the pain and the worst nightmares I've ever had in my life. And by the grace of God, I made it off. I survived what was supposed to kill me. God heard every prayer and he worked wonders on me. These last couple months, I've gotten a lot better. I've done physical therapy and gotten much stronger. I can walk again. I can breathe again. I'm back to living a mostly normal life. I'm beyond thankful for all the prayers and all support I've received. And most of all, I'm beyond grateful to God because he was there through all of it. He brought me back to where I am today and will only bring me further. He never stops working in you. I am living proof of that. And that, that is why I believe in miracles. Corey and his family are worshiping right here with us this morning. Can you just thank God one more time that it's a right now miracle? Thank you, Jesus. God is still working right now. And so we can look at the past, we can honor the past, but we cannot live in the past because God has a fresh word and a fresh miracle and a fresh revelation for what we need right now. So as the pattern we've seen in these letters, Jesus started in verse 20, he explained the things that this church needed to deal with. He says, you're doing really good here, but here's some things you need to deal with. And he says that the church was tolerating a woman named Jezebel who was teaching immorality and idolatry. Now, this woman was not the same evil person who was married to King Ahab in the Old Testament. The timelines would not match up for that, so don't get your Bible history confused. But some scholars actually believe that this woman, uh, maybe her name was not even Jezebel, but it was the name of the spirit who controlled the woman in the church, so that's what they called her. We don't know for sure. But Jesus said that Jezebel was committing sexual immorality and was teaching and seducing people to do the same. And that was a problem. Now, the Greek word for sexual sin is pornea, 
which is where we get the English word pornography. And Jezebel's teachings were appealing because it gave Christians the idea that they could fit nicely into their society. Everyone else was doing it, so they could just do what they wanted, and they still could please God. They could still have a relationship with God. And Jesus says, listen, that's not the way it is. You cannot be like the culture around you and please me, even if everyone else says it's okay or it's acceptable or it's something that the world tolerates. And so Jesus graciously gives Jezebel time to repent. She doesn't. And so we read in that uh, particular letter that there are consequences. And the warning from Jesus is that the sin of the church is that maybe they weren't doing the sexual immorality that Jezebel was teaching. Maybe they weren't engaging in it. But it was that they tolerated this type of teaching and behavior. It was the fact that they tolerated it. Jesus is reminding the church and therefore reminding you and reminding me through this letter that we cannot desire to fit into the culture more than we desire the heart of God. We can't desire to fit into the culture more than we desire a heart of God. Because even if we're not engaging in that particular sin or that particular difficult thing, the fact that we're tolerating it and we're turning our other eye, we are sinning in omission. Maybe we're not actually doing it, but what we're doing is we're tolerating, we're redefining sin to our comfort level. And Jesus is saying we cannot accept truth as relative. We have to take a stand for truth in order to please Jesus. We have to take a stand, even if it's not popular. And even, it, it, no longer can we just say, well, we're not doing that, so we're in the clear. Jesus is saying, yes, but the fact that you tolerate it means I'm displeased with you. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and show us where we are tolerant of attitudes that lead us away from God and into sin. Now listen, I won't pretend this will be an easy conversation. It won't be an easy conversation between you and the Lord, and it won't be an easy conversation as we pray about it as a church, but it is imperative to stay right before the Lord. That's what Jesus is saying to this church of Thyatira, that we do not become tolerant and accepting of unholy things. So Revelation 2, 26 through 28, as we go through this letter, it describes that if you hold the line, if you resist becoming tolerant, there is a reward from heaven. And it says, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them into pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father." It's interesting. Do you see those quotation marks there that uh, next to will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces of pottery? That actually is a quote from Psalm 2. So Jesus is quoting himself, okay? So he's saying, look, I told you this. God told you this. We revealed this to you in Psalm 2. But let me tell you again that this is what it's going to be like. And I love how he uses this analogy of pottery. Remember, I told you the people in that town, they knew something about pottery. They were, they were artist-type people. Uh, that particular town had a lot of pot pottery guilds, and they understood what that was like. And so Jesus, he gets on their level, and he says, look, I'm going to give you the authority over the nation, the authority that my Father has given you. And it will be like the authority of one who could come into a pottery factory and throw every piece on the floor without punishment. 
That's the authority that you're going to receive. And you know, that really spoke to those people in that community. They understood that if someone came in and ruined their things and turned it upside down and changed the culture of that particular pottery uh, place, that they would, there would be consequences and there would be, there would be trouble. But Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to give you the authority as if that won't even, if you went in and did that, no one would even blink an eye. And what it's reminding us here is we don't need to be afraid that we are on the losing team. When you come up against things that are unholy, when you stand for what is right, when you, when you take a stand for the things that you believe God would take a stand for, it may not feel like you are doing something very popular. You may be persecuted. In fact, you might even be made fun of or, 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 or called names that, that aren't true. But we don't need to be afraid that we are on the losing team because we have been given authority and truth will win in the end. We're on the winning team. We don't have to worry about that. Truth will win in the end. And so Revelation 2.28 continues, and it says, Jesus is still talking here. He's saying, I will also give that one the morning star. So the person who doesn't tolerate sin, the person who makes sure that holy things stay holy, I will give that one the morning star. And what I love about this verse is so beautiful. Do you know who the morning star is? It's Jesus. This is like in Sunday school when you just say Jesus, it's always the right answer. Okay, go ahead. It's Jesus. He, he says in Revelation 22, he gives himself that name. He says, I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. So what Jesus is saying in this moment is so beautiful. He says, listen, it's going to be hard at times. You're going to have to stand up for what is wrong. You cannot tolerate these things. But if you do that, do you know what I'm going to give you? The greatest possible thing that he could promise his church, the greatest possible thing that he could give us, he's going to give us himself. <laughs> Jesus is going to give us himself. And you know, like angels, those are really cool. And I think there's awesome theology behind angels, but I don't just want angels. I want Jesus. I don't just want a lot of great people in my life who represent Jesus. I want Jesus. And what he says is he will give us himself, that we will see him face to face. We will be his and he will be ours. And our final reward will be to be with Jesus forever. In fact, I just want to pause right here as we reflect on this letter before I move to the next letter and I ask Pastor Quentin if he would just lead us in this, this old song that says that Jesus is our reward. Would you just worship just right from your seat this morning as we say, Lord, we just want nothing else but you.
Thank you so much. Before we go back uh, into worship today, I just want to look at this one more letter from Revelation 3. So, Pastor Grant, will you read it to us, to the church of Sardis? To the angel of the church in Sardis, right. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to these churches. So for the fifth time, every single letter so far, Jesus says, I know your deeds or I know your works. Maybe we should start paying attention. <laughs> okay, he's saying, look, I know. Jesus is aware of all that we do. And he knows whether we are serving with our lives or simply with our lips. He knows if we're serving with our lives or simply with our lips. And a half-hearted effort doesn't fool or satisfy the Lord. Expressive outward worship does not impress him. He knows the deep parts of our heart. He knows the deep motives of our church. He knows the conversations happening behind closed doors. He knows the intentions. He knows the actions. He knows. And Jesus says to Sardis, listen, you have a good reputation, and your church has a reputation of being alive and well. Yet, God is not impressed with the things that impress us. God is not impressed with the things that impress us. You are known as faithful, but Jesus says, I know you are dead, spiritually dead. And as I studied this text, I kept thinking of this word picture. I kept thinking of a mannequin. Just thank Pastor Quentin, his new friend, for bringing it up over here. Thank you. This mannequin can be dressed to look alive spiritually. She's got her Love Build Send hat on. Some of you are like, where can I get one of those? They're special, special effects. Uh, I love build send t-shirt, right? She can be, maybe this mannequin, if I was staging it, would be down worshiping at every single thing, every time that the church was open. But yet, it can be dressed to impress, to look like an impressive Christian life. She can have all the church gear on. She can be involved in all the things, but yet spiritually dead on the inside. You know, churches can be like this too, Lights and fog and new equipment and charismatic teaching. Not that those things are bad in and of themselves. In fact, they work for a purpose in a lot of ways. But if a church has all those things but is spiritually dead on the inside, then it is entirely missing the point. And here's the reality. This mannequin has no life in it. Dead on the inside, alive maybe on the outside, but completely hollow and empty and dead spiritually on the inside. 
It can look great on the outside. We can look great on the outside, but we can feel dead on the inside. And then we are not pleasing God. We are completely missing the point. And Jesus is saying in this letter to Sardis, listen, your reputation actually doesn't count for anything. Stop working on your reputation because it's actually not very helpful. You can have the best reputation, but what really matters is if you are alive or dead on the inside. What really matters is if your heart is beating on the inside and if spiritually you are alive. I don't want to become alive on the outside, but spiritually dead on the inside. I don't want you to be spiritually dead. I don't want our church to look really great on the outside, but be spiritually dead on the inside. How would Jesus classify your heart today? Are you dead or alive? In Revelation 3, 2, it records Jesus saying to the church of Sardis, wake up, wake up. He desperately wants to see us alive in him, living from his very word, tethered to his heart, hungry for his presence. He wants the church universal and Erie First Assembly not to fall asleep, but to wake up and have a burning, holy fire for him. We learned from the church of Thyatira that we can't live on yesterday's, right? I just said that a few minutes ago, about 10 minutes ago. We can't live on yesterday's fire. We can't live on yesterday's leadership. We can't live on yesterday's prayers. We can't live on yesterday's legacy. And there are saints that have gone before us who have served in this church for hours. There are people, men and women, who sat in the very seat you're sitting in right now for, for decades. Some gave the better part of their lives to this church. In fact, as I looked around this morning, some of you are here today and your spouse has gone on into heaven and you can testify that it was their blood and sweat and tears are part of why this church is still standing. Part of the reason I can stand up here and preach the word of God is because of men and women that have come before me and have done so many incredible things to make sure that this church stayed alive spiritually. Our church is about 100 years old and so that means men and women over the last 100 years have given their resources generously. Do you know why you have a pew to sit in today? Because somebody gave from what they had. Do you know why that you have a, we have buildings to do things in? Because people gave, they gave generously and they believed in this church and they prayed for this ground and they wept at this altar and they fought for the truth. And when culture came after them, they didn't tolerate the things and the sin and the, the difficult things that they had to do. And listen, I want you to hear today, I honor them. I honor every single one of them because we would not be where we are today as a church if it was not for them. But if you are listening today, if you are alive and have breath in your lungs, no matter how old you are, this message to the church of Sardis says this, it's your turn. It's your turn. We need to determine that this church won't die on our watch. That this generation, the 95 years or so this room represents in human history, that we won't let Erie First Assembly become like the church of Sardis, dead on the inside, but looking really good. Now it's our job. It's our turn. Wouldn't it be awful to be the generation that falls asleep and completely buries a legacy of faithfulness? 
A hundred years of faithful men and women giving their lives to the Lord, fired for God, and we're the ones that say, well, you know, it's kind of hard. Like culture, it's just really hard now. I'm really busy. I have a lot to do. I can't really get there every Sunday because I just have a lot to do. My, my finances are super tight. I know I can have every possible gadget possible, but like giving is just really not possible for me right now. I don't know that I can go on a mission trip. There's no way that I can divert what I want to do uh, all summer long to give up my week. We have to say, look, that legacy of faithfulness only continues if you and if me, the people in this room that can hear my voice, stoke the fire and make sure that we aren't just looking the part, but that spiritually our hearts are blazing and raging with the fire and the holy fire of God. I expected you to clap right there, but I'll just give you one pass. I'm good with that. You know, we have to resolve that we will live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. Not just look like we do or put on the shirt, but that we live for Jesus alive and hungry. Regardless of the pressures of life, we can't get satisfied with things as they are. We can't get lazy or tired. You know, it's easy to be an attender but it takes effort to be an abider in Christ. It's easy to attend, but it takes effort to be an abider in Christ. And in this passage, Jesus pleads with his people. He says, wake up, Sardis. Like, wake up, don't fall asleep, because God was holy then. All the people that that came before you, God was holy, but there are new miracles, and he's still an all-consuming fire today. And God says, I want to show you that I am still sovereign and good and working, and there's kingdom work to do. I love talking about the stories of the past. I love hearing the faithful men and God that brought us here. But you know what I want to do? I want my children to look and say, I saw the faithfulness of God. Like I prayed and saw a miracle. I believe that I, I believe that, that would happen and God did it. The people in my church where I grew up saw it. And that those generations and those promises, they help us. And we look to the past and we learn from the past, but we don't live there. We say, God, fresh, new, holy fire today so that we are not spiritually dead, but we're spiritually alive. Jesus pleads with his people in that way. Wake up, wake up. So I want you to stand this morning. The worship team's gonna come. And I'm praying that God will ignite a fire within our souls that can't be put out. A holy fire that can't be stopped or ignored. A fire that changes us from dead to alive. And truly, I am just rattled to the core when I realized that Jesus is praying that for us too. Like nobody wants it more than Jesus. Nobody wants Erie First Assembly 8150 Oliver Road more than Jesus to shine bright for him. And no one loves the city more than Jesus. And so I'm praying that our hearts be turned, that we're alive again, that we could take the gospel to places, to people that have forgotten the goodness of God, that have never known the goodness of God. And that our families would begin to to turn and orient themselves to live a life holy to God, that things about our lives would change because we're saying, God, we aren't gonna let it go out. Like we're not gonna look really good on the outside outside to this community and be nothing on the inside. We're not gonna be alive and have a good reputation, but nothing's happening inside of us. And I believe this, this warning from Jesus to the church of Sardis is right in our grip this morning. We need to make sure we wake up, wake up. I'm praying that over my heart this morning too, 
God, wake up. Romans 13, 11 says this, Paul writes, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Jesus, I thank you. I pray you would wake us up today. God, you would wake us from our slumber. God, you would wake us from our sleep that the the fire of God would consume us again. Lord, we pray we won't be the church of Sardis where we look really good on the outside. A reputation doesn't count. But God, that inside we would be spiritually alive spiritually hungry for not yesterday's victories and successes, but God, what you're doing today. God, we want your new miracles. We want your new manna. We want your daily bread. We want your new wine, Father God. We have enough faith and trust for it. And so God, this morning, we just come to you hungry. We come to you hungry. We pray that you would meet us right where we are. It's in your strong name I pray.
Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We would love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow Eerie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eeriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.